Well, good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to be able to say morning once again, <laughs> to be back here at Monroe um, with, uh, complete with the blue lockers, linoleum floor, all of it. I love it. It feels like coming back home, and it's, it's such a blessing to be back here. And can I also say happy Independence Day? As most of you know, I was not born here, but I've lived here now for over 30 years, and I have come to really love Independence Day. The, the fireworks, the parades, the hot dogs, the barbecues, all of it. This is an amazing, incredible country, and I am so thankful that I get to live here, that I get to raise my family here, they get to serve here, and I enjoy celebrating that gift every year. It's a good thing. But even though I am now a citizen, I sometimes feel a little out of place still on July 4th. Like I'm crashing someone else's party or something. Like, um, and so I resonate a little bit with Peter's language here in his letter to First Peter. I get that sense of being out of place. I'm not really in exile, but I do sometimes feel a little bit out of place. And in fact, according to Peter, we should all expect to feel uncomfortable and out of place at times. In some sense, we're all more like pilgrims than, than settlers. Our faith makes us misfits. In fact, as you read the scriptures, you come to realize that the biblical, faithful Christianity will often leave you feeling a lot more like that awkward, stumbling kid in school who doesn't quite fit in. A lot more like that than the sort of star quarterback whom everyone loves and adores. But as Peter is so eager to remind his readers, that's okay. That's the point of his letter. It's okay. Expect it. Be prepared for it. Get used to it. Don't be surprised at this. In fact, awkwardness, weirdness, oddness, that's what you signed up for when you decided to follow Jesus. He's the one going in the opposite direction to everyone else. Like at the mall or the, or the airport. Have you ever tried walking up the down escalator? I know when I was a kid, this was... Hours of endless fun and annoyance for our parents and other people trying to walk my way up the at down escalator, right? It's great fun until someone actually is trying to come down and so it's glaring at you or goes and tells your parents. And Peter says, look, this is going to kind of be your life from now on. Always going in the opposite direction. And sometimes people are going to glare at you and point fingers at you and persecute you as a result. Actually, before that, Jesus says, this will be your life. He says in John 15, uh, verse 20, if they persecuted me, then they'll persecute you also. But here's the thing. As Pastor Michael reminded us last week, this suffering and persecution, in the end, this is just a tiny, tiny slice of time. It's a breath. Remember Michael was saying last week, it's a breath, a, a, a mist, a vapor. It's gone in an instant. 
which means you can savor the blessings that come your way, the, 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 the chance to celebrate uh, barbecues with friends and to enjoy the good gifts that God's given us because they're temporary, they're only here for a moment. But it also gives you the strength to persevere through times of suffering and persecution. And we can take great encouragement knowing that this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us a weight of glory beyond all comparison. And it's all these thoughts, this whole complex of thoughts that lead Peter to begin his letter in verse 3 with a call to praise and worship. Look at verse 3. If you cast your mind back a few weeks, that's how he opens his letter, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I bring this up because Michael may have mentioned this a few weeks ago, but, but verses 3 through 12, this whole first paragraph, it's one long sentence in Greek. Uh, We break it up into multiple sentences, thankfully, in English, to be able to make sense of it. We've broken it up into three separate sermons here to help us digest it. But in Peter's mind, this is all one big thought spilling out of his mind, one giant prayer beginning with this overarching theme. Praise the Lord! Blessed be the Lord! For all of it, for everything he then enumerates, for, for God's grace and mercy, for, for the gift of being born again, for the hope of eternity, for the Lord's sustaining power and His presence with us in times of persecution. Praise the Lord for the joy Pastor Michael spoke about, the joy we can experience in the middle of pain, for the salvation we experience now, for the full and complete joy that will one day be ours for all of eternity when Jesus returns in all his glory. And all of that builds us up to the point where we come today and our passage where begins in verse 10. Let me read this to you. Starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, everything that he's just talked about, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was not revealed to them that they... It it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So here then is the main point for today's sermon. Celebrate your privileged position in the history of salvation. Celebrate your salvation. Like I said at the beginning, today's July 4th. A time when we rightfully celebrate the many blessings and privileges and rights that we have as citizens of this incredible country. Recognizing that most of these we didn't earn for ourselves. 
We're recipients of a gift that's been handed down to us over the centuries. A gift that was prayed over and fought for and defended vigorously. A union that has been held together by blood, sweat, and tears and the sovereign providential hand of God Himself. And you and I are heirs of this inheritance. And if all that is good and worth celebrating, and it is, and we should, then how much more should we recognize and celebrate and fight for the far greater gift of salvation that has been handed down to us generation after generation by faithful brothers and sisters in Christ? A legacy of salvation that doesn't just go back 200 years or 2,000 years even to Christ, but all the way back to the dawn of time itself. Our citizenship as Americans is one of the most highly sought-after treasures in this world. As someone in our extended family who, who can trace her ancestry back to the pilgrims. It's an amazing thing. She should be proud of that. But it's nothing compared to the citizenship that you and I now possess in the kingdom of God. For those of you who have been born again, your family tree didn't just go back to the pilgrims or or even to the time of Christ and the apostles. It goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, even Noah, even Adam. That's your genealogy. You should be proud of that. Celebrate it. And this is Peter's main point in these verses. Celebrate this gift, this inheritance, this salvation. We should recognize and cherish the enormous privileges that come with this new citizenship. And we should live our lives differently as a result. So how do we do that? I gave you two challenges today to help us celebrate our salvation. Two challenges. The first is this. I want you to share the gospel freely. Share the gospel freely. You know, last month, we, uh, we took our family on this epic camping trip out west. Beautiful. We had Wyoming, Utah, Arizona, camping in all these places. And here's the thing, you just don't realize quite, maybe you do, I didn't realize how big this country is until you start driving west. (laughs) I mean, it's enormous. And our kids are older now, so they handle this drive pretty well. But if you've ever been on a ride with little kids, you know that question you get asked over and over again, right? Barely left the house and they're already, are we there yet? How much further? Are we there yet? Are we going to stop soon? Actually, forget the kids. That's what parents start wondering. (laughs) Like, are we there yet? Because I don't know if I can handle this much longer. And although I really love, I'm I'm old-fashioned, I like paper maps. That's what I grew up with. But one huge advantage to using your phone is you get that built-in like ETA. Like I can put in where I'm going and there's a countdown. I know exactly how much time is left until I get to the place where we're going. It doesn't matter. You're driving a thousand miles at 
it's, it's manageable because it's ticking its way down. I know where I'm going. I think maybe sometimes we should use that for our sermons. We could have like a countdown timer <laughs> on the screen so you know how much longer this is going to take. It's like, okay, we've well, only got 10 minutes left. I think I can grit that out. <laughs> we got more than 10 minutes, just so you know. 27 minutes by my accounting. <laughs> but the flip side of all this convenience is, is, of course, when you lose cell signal, as we frequently did in the middle of nowhere, and then you've got no idea. You're like, I, I know I'm on the right road, but I have no idea now when we're going to get there. And that's the problem that Peter says the prophets were experiencing. They were on the right trajectory. They knew they were headed in the right direction. They knew the destination would be amazing. And they knew all that because God himself was speaking in them and to them and through them. It wasn't like they were like, I think this is kind of what we're talking about. It's like God's words spoken to the prophets. So they knew the destination was great. But what they didn't know, indeed what they couldn't know, was when all these things were going to happen. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. The prophets were, they were desperate to know when they would arrive at the destination promised by God. The day of the Lord, would it come in their lifetime? Or was it come in, in one generation, or two, or three, or... Would the Davidic promise that we just heard Pastor Michael read from, from Ezekiel, would, would it come now, or, or next year, or in ten years, a hundred? With the great promises of restoration and renewal, were they coming in my generation, or my children, or my grandchildren? As David cries out in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord? It must have seemed at times as if the journey was never going to end, as if they would never get there. Right? Time just kept marching on. Nothing changed. It was kind of like driving through... Well, I don't, I don't want to offend anyone with a particular state. Imagine a state that you don't particularly enjoy driving through, where it seems like the road just goes on forever. It's interminable, and the scenery never changes. It's like driving through that state. Illinois. I'm not going to say anything. You, you, you fill in that blank. And at times it probably felt a little bit like that for the prophets, right? And for the people of God. Like, when is this going to happen? I'm not seeing anything significant change. As they waited patiently for the Messiah to come. But there is one big difference that, that Peter draws out here. Like on our trip, most of the time, hundreds of miles, we're just sitting there passively doing nothing. I like maybe watching a show or, or, or reading or listening to an audio book, driving, whatever it was. We're just kind of sitting there. But the prophets, they weren't killing time like that. Peter says right here in our text, they were searching, they were inquiring carefully, diligently, they talked with God, they prayed, they searched the scriptures, they looked for signs, 
They were eager. They're like, we got to figure this out. This, this destination we're headed to, it's amazing. I want to know. Because if God is on the move, don't, don't you want to know what He's up to? Right? Like, like, don't you want to know like, like what's going to happen next? Don't you want to be a part of what He's planning? And although, of course, we now know who and what the prophets were pointing to, we should still retain some of that same eagerness to be a part of God's plan, His ongoing plan of redemption. Like, I want to be a part of this. I don't, I don't have it all of it figured out, but, but I want to be involved. I want to be searching and, and inquiring. Jesus says that the harvest is ready. What's missing are workers. That, that's you. That, that's me. He's talking about here. But the prophets, it turns out, they weren't the only ones eagerly searching diligently seeking to make sense of God's plans. Look at, look at the end of our section here in verse 12. Uh, Peter says, All this prophetic activity, all this evangelistic work, indeed everything that has happened, everything that continues to happen as God grows and expands His kingdom, these are all things into which even angels long to look. Angels! Angels! Think about it. The greatest, the most glorious of spiritual creatures who dwell in the presence of God Himself, who fight demons, who come to our aid far more often than we probably understand or will ever realize. These angels, in all their splendor, all their power, Even they long to look into these things. Why? Because this gift of salvation that Peter is talking about, this the exercise of God's grace, the movement of the Spirit, the wonder of the cross, none of it applies directly to them. They're they're, they're, they're bystanders, they're witnesses. They get to be involved as, as messengers, right? Like God sends them as messengers to speak to people, to Mary and others, right? They, they're involved as warriors in the spiritual realm, but, but ultimately in the end, they're, they're bit characters in a drama where we take center stage. It's, it's almost, it's not quite the same, but it's almost like, like they're watching the movie and we're in it. Because Jesus died for you and for me, not for the angels. Okay, now to illustrate all this, I I need three volunteers. It's a good thing you're not going to be made fun of. Three volunteers, okay. All right, well, I guess we'll take two from the same family. And Jake, you want to come up too? Great, awesome. All right. So, come over here. This is good. We got room. Right here. This is going to be really good. Don't worry. <laughs> all right. So, um, here, all the way over here, and then I'll stand over here. This is good. Great. So, somewhere in this room, like not down the corridors, not in any of the rooms, because we're not supposed to be going in the classrooms, um, but somewhere in this auditorium area, uh, I have 
hidden and amazing gifts is really good. Sweet, chocolatey, tasty, yummy. Uh, it's somewhere in here. So I'm going to give you each an opportunity in turn to find it, okay? So uh, do you want to go first? Sure. Okay, great. So now, hold on. I'm going to give you 20 seconds. So you're going to have to to go fairly quickly. I guarantee it's in here somewhere. Uh, so are you, are you ready? All right. So hold on and go. All right, that, that's 10 seconds is up, so keep looking, keep looking. Oh, okay, all right, come, come on back, that's 20 seconds. Okay, we saw where he went, so he, maybe, all right, come on back, well, there we go. Good work, nice effort. All right. Thank you. Yes. A for effort. Did a good job looking. All right. Uh, so I'm going to give you 20 seconds also. Um, but actually, you have to stay right here. You can only look with your eyes. So if you have an idea, you can maybe, you can maybe let, let me know, and, and I'll tell you if you're right. But uh, all right. And go. Is it behind the lockers? Uh, no. Nope. Any other? Go. Give me one more idea, quick. Is it in the back? No, it's not in the back. All right. Okay. So, Jake, we are <laughs> zero for two right now. So, uh, how are you feeling about your chances here? Not too great. Not too great. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you 20 seconds also. Um, but you know what? I'm just actually going to go ahead and tell you where it is. So, uh, it's, go over here to my backpack, and, to, yeah, go ahead. It's just, it's right in there. Just take that off the top. Yeah, no, no, put that to one side. Open it up. There's a big white bag. Pull that whole bag out. Great, bring it up here. Open it up. Take it out. Just great. Perfect. You know, hold it up, separate. No, no, I, I, it's not for me, so. Alright, Cisa so has a big bag. How many, how many, uh... 135. 135 pieces of chocolate. That, that's great. So, now, over here, this is a little bit like the prophets, right? Eagerly searching, diligently looking. You knew there was something good out there, but you just didn't know where it was. And in some ways, a little bit like the angels, right? You're longing to look into it. But you didn't know, because I didn't let you know where it was. And Jake here is a little bit like us, right? Like we've been given the gospel, all the prophet promises and prophecies. We have this gift, it's been made clear to us what it is. It's not complicated. We live in such a greater privileged position than the prophets or the angels. It's amazing. This gift is so incredible that it's worth sharing. How many pieces are in here? 135. And, you know, first of all, you guys should get 
to have so go ahead open it up yeah pocket knife there we go awesome this is amazing right your salvation is something that even Isaiah as great as he was longed to look into something so incredible that even the mighty Gabriel could only observe it but you get to live it. You get to experience it. You get to be, taste it and eat it and be a part of it. All right, so go ahead. You know what? Share the candy with everyone. And thank you for your help today. That was great. Go ahead and sit down. Share the candy. Look, these kids share. No, I don't need it. I'm good. Go ahead. Distribute it. Candy for everyone. Look, there are other people. This candy is great, right? But this salvation that we have, that I'm talking about, is so great. There are other people today, not just the prophets in the past, not just the angels in the spiritual realm, people all over the world who are desperate for this gift that you and I possess. Just like the other kids in this room are desperate for some of this candy. But... There are men and women, boys and girls, all over the world who have never even heard the gospel, let alone been given the chance to respond or to experience it, to taste it for themselves. In fact, according to a a, a Christian missions organization called the Joshua Project, three billion people in the world in unreached people groups That means groups of people where there are few, if any, Christians. Little to no history of Christianity in any form in these people groups. And we should be eager to share this gift of salvation, this privileged position that we have with them. That's all these these countries in red here. Three billion people in these regions who have never heard the gospel and have little likelihood of ever hearing it. Now, that number is so huge, so overwhelming. What are some things that you can do? You're like, great, how do I do it? How do I take this gift to them? Well, the Joshua Project, they have three ideas, I mean six ideas, a starting point. First, learn, right? After church today, go home and look up the Joshua Project. Write it down in your notes. The Joshua Project. Learn more about unreached people groups. You're like, I still don't understand what that is. Go to their website. Read about it for yourselves. Learn more about global missions. There's a class you can take called Perspectives. Uh, I took it last year or two years ago. Uh, the Bowers have taken it. The Condrells have taken it. Talk to any of us about, about global missions or about Perspectives class. You can pray. Again, go to the Joshua Project. Download the app. Pray for one of these unreached people groups every year. Go on a missions trip. Lead a missions trip. Financially support those serving in missions, committing themselves to the cause of Christ globally. Give financially. Welcome. You don't have to travel around the world 
You're like, I really don't want any immunizations, all right? Like, I don't want to deal with shots and, and passports and all of crazy food. You know what? The, the, the world is coming here, like DuPage County. Yeah, Exodus, uh, uh, World Relief, organizations working with refugees and immigrants coming from all over the world, from countries and groups you've never even heard of before coming here to live in DuPage County, who need to hear the gospel, who are open to hearing it, who are here because this is a place of opportunity, and they're free from the constraints they were under in their other country, and they're open to hearing the gospel. Look, Peter encourages us to praise and worship God for the gift of salvation, a gift that even prophets and angels long to look into. And one of the primary ways that we can celebrate this gift of salvation is to share it freely with others. Well, second challenge that comes out loud and clear in our passage today is that we must submit to suffering. Now, if this sermon was a movie... It's not. It would be a lot more interesting. But, but if it was a movie, this would be sort of the point where we'd cut to some kind of extended flashback on Peter's life, like 20 or 30 years before he wrote this letter. Because Peter always struggled to understand Jesus. Right? He was bold. He's passionate. He's driven. Type A. Forceful. Maybe a little proud. Often outspoken. But he had no problem telling Jesus the way he thought it should probably be. It seems like every time Peter took a leap forward in his understanding, it would be followed almost immediately by one giant step backwards. So when we read in Matthew 16, uh, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. As we read in our passage today in John. It's not really surprising then when Peter responds to that by pulling Jesus to the one side. It's like, hey Jesus, um, uh, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. So he rebukes Jesus. That's the same fighting spirit in Peter that leads him to draw out his sword and cut off the, high, the servant of the high priest's ear, right? When they come to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter had full confidence that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus affirms Peter's understanding. It's perhaps why, why Peter wanted to camp out on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's like, hey, let's set up tents. Maybe, maybe this is it. This is it. This is a moment I've been waiting for. But at the same time, Peter always struggled to understand how the path to glory led through suffering, through death. It didn't make sense. Because on the surface, it doesn't make sense, right? It's all backwards. A suffering Messiah, a, a, a king who dies on a cross, winning through losing. That's not how anything works in this world. Kids, uh, if, if you play Connect Four, do you win by letting your opponent get four in a row? Right? No, of course not. It's ridiculous. It's not the way the world works. So I can understand Peter being like, this is backwards. What are you doing washing my feet? You're my king. 
Uh, what are you doing giving yourself over to them to be uh, killed, crucified? And it's this same Peter who now writes to the young believers scattered across Asia. The most powerful letter in the New Testament concerning persecution and suffering written by a man who himself for three years walking with Jesus struggled to understand how that could possibly make sense. And so it's incredible to read here in 1 Peter verse 11, Peter talking about this necessary sequence of, of sufferings and then glories. Because for Peter, these are now, after Pentecost, now he understands, okay, I get it. This is part of God's plan. The persecution, the ridicule, the death that Jesus endured that I couldn't wrap my head around before. That wasn't failure. That was to be expected. Necessary. Submission to suffering always comes first. Now on the one hand, that's kind of a universal truth, right? Suffering before glory. Almost every single sports movie you've ever seen drives us into you, right? Like, like facing the Giants. You have that scene, you've seen that, right? And, and the football player, he's got to crawl his way across the field with the guy, the guy on his back. Like, come on, come on, come on, you can do it. And then you get the inspirational music and all sweating profusely and suffering before glory. And that's how coaches are going to motivate their teams to success. Which may be true in sports, but in the Christian life, such thinking leads to works-based righteousness. This idea that our hard work is a pathway to God's blessing, especially if it's painful along the way. But the suffering of Jesus is categorically different because His persecution and death it wasn't like training for something else. Like, like, like Jesus needed to be sort of have the rough edges knocked off or, or refined in some way. He was the perfect sacrifice for our rough edges. We're the ones that needed to be refined. He died for our sin. So why? Well, well this is why Peter wants to celebrate our celebrate our salvation. Because we've truly been set free. We don't have to run another three laps around, around the soccer field after practice. Sufferings will come whether we want them to not, but glories to follow. And the key here is that our sufferings don't earn us anything. And that's a good thing. Something we should celebrate. Because that work has been done already by Jesus on the cross. But here's another unique twist Peter adds to everything. In verse 12, he says, It was revealed to them, meaning the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you, meaning the, the promised sufferings and glories of Christ. Peter declares the prophets weren't in the end serving themselves with this knowledge. They were serving you, meaning 
first of all, the, the people that Peter's writing to, but by extension, you and me also. The sufferings of the prophets didn't earn them greatness. It just came with the gig. It was part of what their lives were. But they submitted willingly because their eyes were fixed on a future even though they couldn't see it. They didn't have the, the, the language available at the time, but, but in some sense they were denying themselves right, to follow their Lord, serving the church before the church even existed. And we should pay great attention then to their example. Peter's words are a reminder to us that your life is not your own. Right? In following Christ, we, we commit to serving both God and other people. Not just even here and now, but, but down into the future. The words of Isaiah, right? For example, they've impacted people all over the world, down through time. And God continues to act in this way today. So what would it look like for you to serve future generations with your life. Right? You and I are not mighty prophets called to proclaim the Word of God, but don't downplay the significant role that God might still have for you. Christian history is filled with examples of God using regular people to accomplish incredible things. In fact, God seems to delight in using believers from all kinds of surprising and unexpected backgrounds for His glory in the expansion of His kingdom. He raises up the meek and the lowly and the humble and those who are committed to serving Him and He knocks down the proud and the arrogant. So celebrate your salvation by submitting to suffering. And spend time in prayer this week asking how God might be calling you to die to self and live for Christ. Serving others through that act of submission. I want to close with just one final challenge. A bonus challenge, if you will. I said two, that's like two and a half. (laughs) An appendix. The prophets were faithful to speak God's words, even though they didn't understand the full picture. And even though they diligently sought to understand more, God never gave it to them. Right? He never gave it to them. You and I have the benefit of far more understanding. Jesus calls us blessed because our eyes have seen what the prophets and kings long to look into. And even so, we still don't have the full picture because the fullness of our salvation is still distant in the future. We know that one day Jesus will return and restore all things and make everything new and, and the rest is a mystery from what will happen to tomorrow to what will happen at the end of time. God has decided that we don't need to know. The question then, the final question today is how will we respond? With frustration? Because we feel like God owes us an answer? 
Or with impatience, maybe? Constantly trying to do things our own way because we don't like waiting in uncertainty. Or will we respond with faithfulness and patience like the prophets did, who yearned for more but submitted humbly to God nevertheless, trusting that God was working out a plan even if they couldn't yet see it with their own eyes? I know which path it is that I want to be on. And I'm praying that the same Spirit who equipped the prophets to persevere in their calling will strengthen you and I to persevere in ours as well. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so, so, so thankful for this gift of salvation promised to the prophets predicted through your word, Lord, something planned before time. And now, Lord, we're, we're in the privileged position of receiving that. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would give us boldness to share that with others. Strength to submit to suffering in service to others. And through it all, Help us to learn to wait patiently and faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.